Hey, this is Sandy. And Randy. And we're here on AT Corner. Being an athletic trainer comes with ups and downs, and we're here to showcase them all. Join us as we share our world in sports medicine. Welcome back to another episode of AT Corner. This is our first episode of 2021. New year. This is for the newly certified. Yes, it's around that time, which by the way, I hope everyone had a great holiday season. You ready to get into it? I am. I think the students that are sitting for their BOC soon are ready to get into this. Yeah, let's do it. So today, guys, we're going to be talking about the stuff that you don't learn in books. I mean, I feel like we do that a lot on our podcast, but this episode specifically is actually to preface it, we did put on our Instagram story what did you wish you knew when you were first certified? And so a lot of these are based off the submissions that we received from athletic trainers who have been doing this a lot longer than, I mean, I guess a lot longer than we have, but then also that is for sure a lot longer than you guys have. (laughs) (laughs) But I feel like that is a lot of what athletic training education is. You learn stuff that's not in the books. So you want to do the first one? Yes, absolutely. So first things first, is you need to remember to trust your training. So we got a submission from April O, and she said, I showed up to my first day and got on a bus because it was midseason. During that game, two girls dove headfirst into each other. College volleyball, so they hit really hard. Oof. Of course. Of course it has to be your first day. <laughs> well, that's what this is all about, yeah, right? Yeah, that's true. One of them didn't know where she was at, and she wasn't moving. I grabbed a coach and told them to make sure that the girl didn't know where she was, stayed sitting, and I went to the worst off girl. She came to quickly, and we got her up. I went to the other one, who eventually started getting her bearings. I joke now that no one told me who to go to first in school. It's scary to me that they don't discuss this because I had two really hurt girls, and the one that wasn't worst off originally ended up being the worst off. It was bad enough that I wanted them both to get neck x-rays. However, the closest hospital was a ways away. Also, that's something I feel like we don't really talk about. Um, like, like access. Yeah, that's well, it's tough because we're not in a rural area. Mm-hmm. You know, rural athletic trainers have a, a big hurdle with access to emergency services. So she said that the closest hospital was a ways away. The office was closed at 745 at night, of course, and they had no team physician there. I called the director of AT services and also called our team physician, who got us in at a hospital on the drive home afterwards, which is nice. also a long time to wait. Yeah. They both recovered fine, and neither had neck fractures, but it took four weeks for their symptoms to go away completely. Oh, that's a bummer. So I think this is important. Like, I paired this one with the truster training because, you know, th- you literally cannot go over everything that you're going to see in <laughs> That's true. In your career, you can't go over that in school. Even if you did, you'd probably forget something. Exactly. So I feel like with this, like, maybe some people do talk about, like, learning how to triage and learning which one to go to. Yeah, and it goes to show you that is the importance of your clinical rotations because I think a lot of education programs rely on that portion to be taught by your preceptors is, you know, kind of teaching them on the job experience as far as triaging and situations like that. And also remember the BOC is basically just there to make sure that you're not going to kill anyone. Exactly. That's how (laughs) I always look at it. You ready for the next one? Yes. So this one is all about utilizing your mentors that can't be stated enough. They've gone through the same struggles and they are there to help you. Mm -hmm. 
So this story is by Anonymous. I had a kid with a C3 through 5 fracture. Wow. In my first six weeks at my first high school setting. Holy moly. Not all of them are like this. (laughs) (laughs) He ended up being very lucky and was able to make a full recovery. I, however, was sort of in disbelief when I found out how serious it ended up being. I was terrified of it happening again with a worse outcome. We didn't have AT cares yet, but I looked to my mentor. Just being able to talk through it with someone I trusted was great and helped me through it. I still call him when I have a big or catastrophic injuries. I was able to get over it, but that was a rough entry. You know, being newly certified is really scary. <laughs> I think that might be an understatement <laughs> because you don't have like when you're a student, you have the safety blanket of the preceptor because like whatever you do, they're watching or you have to get their approval. So you're running to buy them. But then like especially at the high school and we talked about talked with Allison about this. You're by yourself. Like mm-hmm. it is your call. It Whatever happened is whatever happens is on you. That's the hardest thing, I think. Especially when newly certified take high school jobs. And I mean, I took a high school job, um, not when I was first certified, but soon after. Um, it's hard because you don't have any other clinicians by you, for the most part. You don't have any other clinicians by you to bounce ideas off of. Now, not to scare people from, you know, making the high school seem like, oh, you're on an island. Sometimes it feels that way. You just have to almost work a little bit harder to build your connections. You have to really lean on mentors and talk to them. And also what I I know what I've seen in our area is a lot of the athletic trainers in the same district or the same league communicate openly with each other to get their opinions on things. So it may seem like you're on an island, but that island's just harder to work through. So not to paint high school as a totally bad picture. It's just you have to go about things a little bit different. Actually, I'm going to paint it in the other direction for a second. Um, At the high school, that's when I was really able to find my own clinical philosophy and figure out how I wanted to run things. You have to very quick. Yeah, I mean, and it really changed my confidence level. I mean, that's not for everyone. Maybe honestly, for me as a student, I struggled a lot with my confidence because I felt like I needed to do everything to my preceptor's satisfaction, but once I got out in the real world and once I was able to be on my own, I felt like that was almost a breaking point for me. And I'm so much more confident now having that experience. Oh, absolutely. How often do you talk to your mentors, Randy? I try to talk to them fairly often, usually monthly or so. And mostly it's just checking in, trying to you know make sure they're doing good and just updating them on you know what's going on for me. I try to. So some, sometimes I'm better better at it than others, but I do try. I think you're better at it than I am. But honestly, I feel like you are such a unique mentor for me because I get to come home to you every night. Oh, she's just (laughs) saying that. So, I mean, I I really do bounce a lot of ideas off Randy. And vice versa. It's nice because we can talk about things because like we've said on the show before is you have a different outlook than I do. So we are completely different clinicians, you guys. It's crazy. Yeah. We have two different clinical philosophies, which is good. It's nice to get the other person's point of view. Yeah. So this next one is learn to communicate early and never let a coach, parent, or even EMS pressure you. This is a tough one for newly certified. I mean, finding your voice is, is tough in general, but then everyone wants to step in your lane Everyone wants to pretend that they know what your role should be. 
Yeah. And sometimes it's tough to stand your ground and be like, no. Well, this one's by Joseph E. And he said, I was contracted to a football game out here in West Texas as the sole AT. I had to spine born a kid who had full numbness in all his limbs. Ooh. When EMS came, the transition was not smooth. You know, I got to say, um, when I was in school, my program director said, don't worry about the big injuries because the big injuries are the ones that you've practiced the most. Oh, yeah. They're the ones that you're going to identify the fastest. You're, they're the ones that you're going to know what to do. It's the ones that are obscure or the ones that are not textbooks. So true. Those are the ones that are going to take you a little bit more time. That is definitely true. The, the gray area ones are always the hardest. So I got to say, like, spine boarding, that's a huge, very scary topic for a lot of athletic trainers. But I feel like I feel like a lot of athletic trainers actually have done it and have done it successfully. Yes. Well, we practice it a lot and go over it a lot. We understand the importance of it. So it's something that when you're in the situation, it just becomes automatic. So when... Joseph said that he had a kid who had full numbness. I I think you know what to do. Oh, absolutely. So, I mean, the tough part is he did say that the transition with EMS is not smooth. And that's the importance of communication. Oh, big time. I'm sure it's so hard when you're per diem to communicate ahead of time. And it sounds like, yeah, he was contracted this. So, I mean, this uh, is very difficult to prevent. Yes. But anyway, there were two guys, two EMS guys, and neither of them believed me. That's really hard. One said to the other, get the young kid to move over. Oh, boy. Here we go. <laughs> yeah. When they come in rude like that, that's, yes. that just a, is just like a turnoff. Like, how do you get past that? Oh, yeah. The patient was prone with his head facing to the right. So I asked them to prepare for a log roll to the left, and they responded with, can't we do it on your right? I said no. Then the patient had pain when we tried to straighten out his legs. So we left them in the position they were for the move. EMS kept trying to move them. Oh, that's so frustrating. I know, seriously. <laughs> so I had to stand up for my patient and yell at them not to move his legs. That I mean, here's the thing is like, this is where you find your voice. This yes. is where you have to advocate for your patient. Absolutely. And that's the whole role of ATs. I think that's such a bummer too. Like, I mean, I've had amazing experiences with EMS and I've also had bad experiences with EMS. Yeah, I, I think that's how everyone is. You know, they have mix. Like, there's some good experiences and there's some bad experiences. Lastly, while putting on the blocks to stabilize his neck on the board, the EMS crew told me to just remove my hands and not worry about it. Wow. Very nonchalant by this crew. Turns out we couldn't even transport him with the first rig, so we were delayed 15 minutes until another rig could come. Super. Yeah. I mean, even that, more fun. Yeah. That I mean... Uh, it's so frustrating me when they bring a rig that they can't transport. Oh, yes. You've had that experience yes, before. Yes, I have had that experience before. Or how about when EMS gets locked behind the gate? <laughs> same story. <laughs> no, that was a different one. Oh, it was? I thought that was the same experience where it was the wrong rig anyways. Nope, that was the next day. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> yeah, I had a lot of very early certified uh, spine board Yes, you have. <laughs> actually, one of them. So he said that the patient had pain when we tried to straighten out his legs. This is actually a really interesting point because I forgot. Remember my second spine board, the one that you were there for? Yes. Um, the way the kid had fallen, 
he had fallen almost like, I don't know if you guys know what a downward dog is, but he had like his hips in the air and his, his knees had fallen to the floor because obviously he's not going to be in downward dog. Like you can't hold that. Um, but he had his, he basically like spearheaded himself into the floor, Mm -hmm. um, after he had already had the collision with two football players, which where the, the lateral neck flexion happened. So on top of that collision, that's when he fell. And that was the position that he was in. So hips in the air, knees on the floor, head on the floor. They don't teach you that in school. (laughs) I stabilized his neck and I was just talking to him to see if we could move him um, into a more like either a prone position or more like flat position. And we were able to do that. But that was like something that I was not, I mean, on the spot, I had to kind of be creative about. Oh, definitely. So speaking of per diem, as an athletic trainer, doing outreach work is very different than what you might expect. You know, I think this is a really important point because I feel like a lot of athletic trainers do per diem. Well, yeah. I mean, which is good because there's a lot of, that means a lot of, you know, youth events and stuff like that are getting coverage, but it is definitely a different experience. So, D- very different from what you learn, even in your clinical rotations. Oh, absolutely. So this next story is by Kat C. Being an outreach athletic trainer right out of a master's program is a hard transition. In college and clinicals, you are so excited to do it all. You get to evaluate, build rehab plans, do the rehab with them, use the modalities, take them through progressions, etc. But with outreach, you unfortunately have to be comfortable with doing the minimum. A lot of times it's just doing the eval, writing a report, and sending them on their way. I mean, sadly, that's true. It really is because that's really what the expectation is. You're just there to make sure no one dies. And if any injuries occur, just make sure that you do your eval and then point them in the right direction for their future follow-up. I mean, sometimes you can get away with like some, oh, do these rehab, but there's no follow-up a lot of times with the major injuries, unless you get their contact information, like you are not going to hear from them again. Yep. Unless you do a, a, like a tournament where you're seeing them uh, multiple times, like these athletes, you're not going to get to follow through their injury. You don't get to know them ahead of time. Like we normally do as athletic trainers. Yep. I think per diem is a really tough transition, especially out of, your grad program or your undergrad program. Absolutely. And it, it plus it takes away from the full scope of what an athletic trainer can do. I think a lot of athletic trainers feel that that's when they start to doubt themselves, doubt whether they're True. ready for the p- profession or doubt whether they should be in the profession. So what I'm hearing is youth teams should just hire athletic trainers full time. You know, <laughs> I did have an offer from a youth football team. That is true. You did. On the sideline, which that's the funny thing. So probably about half a year after I got certified, I started working with this youth football team and it was tough. I know that I've talked about it a little bit on the podcast. Um, I didn't last very long. I was very like it was a toxic situation. I was stressed to the point that like I was sitting at home thinking about going back to work and panicking about it. Like that's not something that I should be. That's not a normal occurrence. And football is my favorite to work. So like those two together, like that was a really tough situation for me. Um, 
mentally and especially right after being certified. Now, at that event, one of the weeks that I was there, um, the other team, the opposing team, because I was outreach for both sides, the opposing team thought I was doing such a great job that they actually contact, they got my contact information and reached out to me to be there with their team for the rest of the season, which, I mean, I think that even though I didn't take the position, it was so like I needed that at that moment. It was rewarding. So I think you guys, if you take anything from that story, you got to remember that one position doesn't define you. Yes. It doesn't define you as an athletic trainer. It's not going to define your career. Yes. So, and actually we have someone said traditional settings are also not the only setting. That is very true. So maybe you're not finding your way in the positions that you've had. There are so many emerging settings that you probably aren't exposed to in school. So before you think about, you know, maybe this isn't right for me, maybe you just make a change. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that to explore what you like, you know, what what you feel your role as an athletic trainer should be. That's the nice thing about our profession is we have such a a broad, you know, range of abilities that, you know, we can go into different settings and be very effective. And speaking of opportunities, we actually had the luxury of talking to Oscar, who is in another state than us. Yes, and his story is crazy. Yeah, so if you guys want to hear about being ready for opportunities that might pop up. He has a great example for you. He really does. <laughs> for several of us who haven't been working for a while, it's like, when's the next opportunity? And for those who recently graduated and are recently certified, um, if you would take anything from my conversation right now from my little story is that you got to be ready. And you, and if you can say yes in the position of comfort, then take that opportunity. Say yes. But I wasn't too sure what would happen with my first job. Did apply to the local high schools out here. And uh, due to everything going on and what the state decided to do as far as sports, they were going to push it till next year. So training was about to begin at the end of August or sorry, July, um, nothing happened. So we were told to wait for 90 days. And then later on, a week after that, we got an announcement from, um, again, the state about what the, the update was for sports. We wouldn't start till January. So we were going to be on hold until who knows when, really. Uh, so I continue on my other job that I have. I was at work early in the morning. Um, I got a call from my priest or my mentor now, my colleague. That's crazy. I can, still, I can say colleague now. Um, he was like, we have this, you know, season just open. We have an opportunity for you. I thought of you. What do you think? And I was like, well, I really can't say no. Can I? He's like, I don't know, man. So got an interview when I got home from work, uh, five minutes after the interview ended, I got a call. Would you like to accept the position? I'm like, yeah, let's do, let's do it. Um, wow. <laughs> yeah. So that was all in one day. And then the next two days, so Monday and Tuesday, I was going to, signed paperwork. I got everything figured out. I started Wednesday. Um, I couldn't start till Wednesday just due to the COVID test I had to go through. Um, mm -hmm. So I got that done. I obviously tested negative. And man, Wednesday, right? That was like the second day of camp. I think the first full patch day 
of practice. So the new coaching staff, uh, new facility for the most part, they just kind of officially moved into the Fertitta football complex. Uh, and we're going to be starting at the new stadium and new staff, like the new head athletic trainer. We have a new assistant. We have new students. I was new. Players are new. <laughs> Everything was just new given COVID. <laughs> oof. Um, and I was told that you would be jumping onto a bullet train going 3000 miles per hour. This was on a Sunday. You know, everything was, everything was tranquil. Everything was like, you're going to get a job, blah, blah, blah. And then, and then I started the job. I was like, wow, like they were kidding about how fast we were going. What a crazy way to enter the profession. No, seriously. You just went to school yeah. for how, however long. And they're teaching you all about, you know, gen med and, ankle evals and rehab and whatnot and then you get out of school and then all of a sudden they're like covid i do have to say i am forever gonna hang this over my future students heads if they ever complain about something like look you were not certified in a pandemic so <laughs> absolutely we've had to adapt a lot and i think that out of any sport that you do whether it's you know division one football or high school football you have to learn to adapt and be okay with that because you will be jumping onto a train that's going really, really fast and you might not be given <laughs> everything out front. I think the best thing that he said in that, I mean, he said so many great things, but if you can say yes in a position of comfort, say yes. I think, Absolutely. I think so many times we put too much pressure on ourselves to take every opportunity, but not every opportunity is made for us. Exactly. You really have to don't, is this is really tough for someone who's newly certified that you feel like, Oh, I need to get a job. You know, I need to get, get a job. You can be picky. It's okay not to jump at the first job that offers you because more than likely that job may not be great. It could be, you know, that's why I think you have to really examine yourself, you know, take a look at the full picture. What's the workplace like? How's the admin? How's, how's the, company or the school like do they have good benefits compared to another place like there's a lot more that goes into choosing a job besides like oh what sport am i working or oh this is a high level you know high level athletics you want something where you're going to be happy and where you will feel satisfied providing services as an athletic trainer yeah don't be afraid to just build up your experience and take that time to do that you know what i something that really stuck with me that one of my mentors told me was the first few years, you're not going to get the jobs that you want. Mm -hmm. And the first few years, in the long run, don't matter too much. The reason why is because if you look down your career, I know athletic trainers who have been certified for 20, 30 plus years, and they're, they still have a long career ahead of them. So do the first two to five years actually... like? Does it matter whether you are at a high school or a college or a professional team or being outreach for that entire time? I would say no. I think you treat those those uh, experiences as uh, stepping stones to your overall goal and where you want to be. And then stories from those you can send over to us and we will <laughs> feature them on our podcast. Absolutely. <laughs> Another submission we got is that coaches can be tough to work with and they might not always understand our role. I feel like that's a very big understatement. They can definitely be tough to work with a lot of the time. But some coaches can be amazing. Like right after I had that really, really tough job with the coaches that didn't trust me at all, I transitioned into 
a job that I didn't want to leave because the coaches were the best that I had ever, ever experienced. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm in the same boat now because I, I love all my coaches. Like this has been an awesome experience. And, you know, I think it's for newly certified, you you're so excited that you know so much and now it's your call and you feel like whatever I say should go. Um, but it is nice to, you should have the expectation that they are going to push back because they have a job as well. Just like we have a job, they have a job. They're trying to do the best that they can to make the team win and all their athletes, you know, progress in the way that they would like them to. So even though they're pushing back, as long as it's not aggressive and just like totally like, no, that's not safe. You cannot do that. That's okay. You know, they're just trying to do their job. As long as you have an open line of communication and they understand where you're coming from, you understand where they're coming from. It makes things a lot easier. And I've definitely learned that where I'm okay with a coach. Like, Hey, if a coach has questions or is like, Hey, why isn't this person like what's going on with this person? Like, I don't mind answering them and they're just trying to do their job. It's when they really try to like go behind your back and stuff that where it gets excessive. You know what? Actually with something that I heard from Kelsey, who we've had on our show she does a lot of looking at the coach's perspective and also validating their feelings. That's a huge thing. Absolutely. And I think that's a huge thing with communication in general, but especially if you're talking to a coach and and you're taking out their star player or even just a player who's, I mean, everyone on the team is valuable, right? So if you're taking out someone, that's really tough because from the coach's perspective, it's just like, imagine you're you're playing a game and now suddenly like, one of your pieces is missing. Like that's very difficult. So if you go in explaining like, yes, I hear you. I want to let you know that I understand that this sucks. And then if you start to explain to them why, a lot of times that helps. Now you also have to remember that each coach is different. So some coaches might not want to sit and listen to you explain the why. Learning to communicate with different personnel is very important. Yeah, absolutely. So Kira Kay said, I was an ex-distance runner, so no experience in aggression from coaches. I cried inside closets and bathrooms more times than I'd like to admit. Just remember that not everyone will like or understand your choices. Yeah, that's true. And again, it just goes back to communication and um, understanding that, you know, they have a job, you have a job, and just... You know, there has to be a mutual respect. Obviously, when they're they're not respecting your decision, that's a different story. And that conversation has to be had. But um, other than that, just remember, it is all about communication. And remember to take a step back and understand the other person's point of view. And to play devil's advocate from everything we had just said, we are also not there to be people pleasers. Absolutely not. And that's why I tend to be a little bit more reserved when I work with coaches I tend to I tend to have a lot more skepticism until they prove me otherwise I also like that she wrote this in and allowed us to share this because it's okay to cry I there's nothing wrong with it I do not like crying I will not cry in front of you that is not something that I that is not me but I think that showing that you know what? You know, sometimes it's what you need. You just go hide, let it out, and then come back and do your job. Yeah, absolutely. And when coaches put you in that position, or not even coaches, or just the job itself, there's going to be times that you sit there and think, like, you're doubting whether you belong in this profession. And that goes into the story by Aaron G. 
So Aaron said, this still isn't out of my system, but I was considering going to school for PA after getting certified. I love athletic training so much, so I'm not necessarily ready to leave the profession yet, but just going back to school for PA and work in an ortho clinic is definitely on my mind regularly. When it comes to similar professions, I feel like it's usually between PT and PA that ATs consider. Also, if you guys don't know what PA is, it's, it's physician assistant. I like the autonomy of an AT and the ability to be in various settings still. Those are very generic things, obviously, and PA could also offer those things, but I think the overall pull to stay with AT is the ability to see your patients every day, whether they are in your current care for an injury or if it's just saying hi and checking in. No other job in healthcare, to my knowledge, allows for that. It gives you the chance to build so many valuable relationships. It's absolutely a hard thing to think about losing. Absolutely. And sometimes your patients even come in and bring you rocks. Hey, we found your we rock. We did find the rock. I don't hear too many uh, patients going into their, you know, PA or doctor's office with rocks. No, I've never <laughs> heard that story. But no, that is true. That is a common thing for most ATs. I think a lot of it, I know from the California perspective, is we aren't regulated. So there gets to be a lot of frustration about the lack of respect that we get compared to other medical professions. So that can be very tough on, especially a newly certified, when they're probably in an environment where they were highly respected, and that's not the reality of most jobs. Well, not, I shouldn't say most jobs, but some jobs. I think no matter what job you're in, you're going to doubt whether you belong there, whether it's a midlife crisis (laughs) or if it's a newly certified crisis. I think the most important thing to know is your why. And I'm sure that you guys have all heard this. Alicia Pennington uses it a lot, but finding your why will keep you going on the days that you don't feel like you can. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, on the days that the coaches kick you off the sideline and you have to call the police on them. and Yeah, absolutely. And it also goes back to, you know, a lot of people point at the salary of an athletic trainer. And I think sometimes that gets a bad rap too, because that's not the reality of all athletic training jobs. So to say that, oh, athletic trainers don't get paid well, I think is kind of a cop out. Some settings don't get paid what they should, but there's also settings where there's ATs making a good living off of their salaries. And there is potential for ATs to make, you know, a pretty good salary. So it just, you have to know what you're looking for and use your passion to drive you there. I guarantee you there's a market for your passion. And if it just isn't, maybe athletic training is not for you. I mean, we both love athletic training and I can guarantee you that we're never going to leave this profession, but that might not be the same for you. And I'm not here. We're not here to tell you to stay in the profession if you don't love it. Absolutely. There's nothing wrong with, hey, I want to be a PT or a PA because the nice thing is you still understand what AATs do and you have the respect for what an athletic trainer goes through. And we need more Uh, You know, we need other health professions to understand us in order to respect us. Yeah, and I think that that's also something that is like kind of an elephant in the room. I think when athletic trainers hear of other athletic trainers leaving the profession, it's tough to hear because honestly, athletic training, there's a huge burnout level. There are so many athletic trainers who leave the profession and we're not here to say that it's okay, but we are also not here to keep you in a profession that you don't love. Yeah, that's true. But I will say to 
caveat that before you leave, I think that you should also think about there's not only one way of athletic training. There are so many different settings, like we said before. There are so many different job opportunities. So maybe you're just in the wrong area. Yeah, that's true. Oh, this actually goes into the next story from JC, the ATC. If you don't love your position, it's okay to get a new job. Just do your best to not burn the bridges that got you there. AT is a small profession. Yes, it is. So she said, I initially worked my first year in a clinic that I had worked for years prior. When I made the transition from aid to outreach ATC, I loved the position. But as time went by and my eyes began to open, I realized it was an incredibly toxic position I was contracted to. The day I made the decision to leave that position in the outreach setting was the day I began to hate my job. I mention this specifically because I love what we do as ATCs unconditionally. So when that feeling began to come about, I knew it was time for a new position or setting. And since the change to direct hire at the high school, I couldn't be happier. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. And you see, again, that goes back to evaluating what jobs you want. And then even when you're in the job to continue to evaluate it. You know, going back to, um, I think what you said earlier about athlete, and no one knows what an athletic trainer is. I think that's something we just have to face, right? Yes. I see so many people on social media getting frustrated about it. I mean, we were just even talking to one of my best friends and he still does not know what we do, um, which is so funny because... After we've explained it multiple times. But here's the thing is we we cannot get frustrated at the people who do not know what we do because it's not their job to know. It's our job to educate them. Yes. So when you encounter someone who doesn't know what an athletic trainer is, I think instead of getting frustrated, just recite your elevator speech. Yes, recite the elevator speech. I love it. Just explain what we do. It's that simple. And I think that that will also help your blood pressure and your frustration because it's going to be happening for the rest of your career. <laughs> yes. Now, besides all the horror stories and the like um, serious words of advice, don't forget to have fun. Our job is pretty cool. Like I love going to work every day. I love seeing the athletes. I love what we do on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, and I think that that's what really keeps a lot of athletic trainers. We are so unique. I mean, who gets to play ball? during rehab during work yeah i mean i get to that's how that's how we, when we talk to scott that's how i look at it is i'm don't i don't go to work i go to play like i'm getting paid to play all day like obviously especially being newly certified it is scary and we do have a serious job of protecting the lives of our student athletes but that doesn't mean we can't have fun in the process yeah work hard play hard <laughs> oh ats do a good job of that So Haley said, I'm told you remember exactly how you met the most important or influential people of your life. And so far that rings pretty true. My first year was very supportive with the awesome AT staff and balance of coaching attitudes. So I feel fortunate. My first year certified was actually really good. When I was going to my graduate assistantship at a D2 in NorCal, I was lucky to be assigned to two of my favorite sports, women's soccer and men's baseball. Day one, I remember walking in to meet my first coaching staff, all nervous but eager to be with the team and have a nice big responsibility finally. The head coach greeted me with his thick English accent and introduced his assistant coach as 
meet your road trip roommate and meal planner, Stephanie. I don't remember much about the conversation, but that was the first day I met one of my best friends. She was even a bridesmaid in our wedding. Oh, that's awesome. See, that is the cool part about our job in the traditional setting, I should say, is you get to meet a lot of cool people. And you really, when you're a part of a team, you're in it. Like, you guys are a family no matter what. For for better or worse, you are definitely a family. Yeah, I feel like we really started this uh, podcast off very serious because, I mean, being newly certified, the first thing you think of is being nervous. And there are some, you know, some serious words of advice that can really help. But also... We have some more fun. We have more fun. (laughs) So, like you said in the traditional setting, we do have the best seat in the house. Oh, absolutely. So Sarah H. said, my first game as a certified, I just started my old high school. Oh, how cool. She was at her alma mater. Nice. That's awesome. That is a rewarding experience for, you know, a lot of athletic trainers. And their first game was a sponsored memorial game. We got invited to play at the 49ers new stadium. Nice. That's cool. That is so cool. Crazy experience having my first solo game in the huge arena. Thankfully, nothing major, though. That means you got to enjoy it even more. That is so cool. That is true. We get unique experiences that not everyone gets to experience. All right. So our last one is by Justin N. My first game as a certified was at University of Idaho, and we played at Ben Hill Griffin Stadium as we took on the Florida Gators. That's a pretty cool experience. See what I'm saying? The entire game consisted of a two and a half hour lightning delay We played one play where we kicked off to them, and they almost ran it all the way back for a touchdown. They then stopped the game as we had more lightning and ended up eventually calling the game. When they almost ran the kickoff back, the crowd was so loud, I couldn't even hear myself think. I was so bummed that we couldn't play more than one play, but it was still an experience for the ages. First of all, how cool is a newly certified And second, that really sucks. (laughs) Yes. I was going to say, it's interesting when you're at those, because, you know, University of Idaho is a Division I university, but it's not like, they're not a powerhouse, you know? So it's funny to get the perspective of athletic trainers from those schools, because essentially, I'm sure the University of Florida paid the University of Idaho to play that game to essentially lose. So it's funny that you're having an experience that, like, I'm just glad to be here than like worried about how the game goes. I mean, um, that crowd, that's insane. Yes, that is definitely a, a unique experience that not a lot of athletic trainers get to experience. I will say that when I'm on the field, I don't know that I really pay attention to the crowd. Uh, during the game, no. I, I would say like pregame and stuff because it's a little more laid back. You have time to soak that in. But then once once the game happens, it's you're all business. <laughs> It's go mode. So you guys, we actually got so many submissions for what people wish they knew when they were first certified. And so we're, we picked like, like 15 of our favorite or 20 maybe of our favorite. Sounds good. So we're actually going to put them in our Facebook group. If you're not part of our Facebook group yet, go ahead and head over to facebook.com slash group slash AT corner podcast and join our AT corner community. There's only one question to join and it's where did you hear about our podcast? And that then seems easy enough. Yep. And then you're automatically in. So then you can see the rest of the submissions. Also, you can comment on this episode because unfortunately you can't comment on a podcast, but you can in our Facebook group. So make sure you share this with your newly certified or athletic training students, you know, 
Yes, and then, as we've mentioned before, every other episode is an education episode. And this next one that we have coming up, we're going to talk about vibration. Oh, nice. Yes, everyone knows the, you know, the Theragun, the Hyper Ice stuff, the vibrating foam rolls. Well, this next week, we're going to talk about what does vibration do? Cool, I'm excited for that. So, you guys. Me, too. We, like Randy said, we do every other episode as education or stories, and our upcoming stories are usually in our Instagram stories. So if you want to submit yours for a future episode, you can through our Instagram, or you can email atcornards at gmail.com. You ready to wrap it up, Randy? That was pretty good. Get it? Wrap it up. We're post, <laughs> post-Christmas. Wrap it up. I was thinking wrap like Ace Wrap. That works, too. <laughs> Thank you for helping us showcase athletic training behind the tape. Bye.